Chapter Twenty: His Grace of Andover Takes a Hand in the Game, Part Two of Black Moth by Georgette Heyer, read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Well, what of it? His Grace put up his eyeglass, faintly astonished. What of it? Pray think a moment, Lavinia. Tis not likely that I shall be the one to disgrace the name, Tracy. I sincerely hope not. I give you my word. I should do all in my power to prevent any foolhardy action on your part. Pray, do not forget it. She sat silent, biting her lips. It is, my child, unwise to play with fire. Sooner or later one gets burnt. And remember that your gallant captain has not one half of Richard's wealth. Up she sprang, kicking her skirts as she always did when angered. Money! Money! Always money! she cried. I do not care one rap for it, and Richard is not wealthy. "'Richard is heir to wealth,' replied his grace calmly, "'and even and are you so impervious to its charms, I, my dear, am not. Richard is extremely useful to me. I beg you will not leave him for any such mad rake as Lovelace, who would be faithful to you for perhaps three months, certainly not longer.' "'Tracy, I will not have you speak to me like this. How dare you insult me so! I have given you no cause. I did not say I had any desire to run away with him, and he would be faithful to me.' He has been faithful all these years. His grace smiled provokingly. My dear! Oh, I know there have been episodes, indiscretions. Do you think I count him the worse for that? Evidently not. There has never been another serious love with him. I hate you. You are over-free with your emotions, my dear. So you do indeed contemplate an elopement? No, 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 I do not. I am fond of Dicky. Dear me! Of course I shall not leave him. "'Why, then, I am satisfied,' he answered and rose to his feet. "'I shall look to see Captain Lovelace more out of your company.' He picked up his hat and cane and stood directly in front of her. One dead white hand, on which blazed a great ruby seal-ring, took her little pointed chin in a firm clasp and tilted her head up until she was forced to meet his eyes. They held hers inexorably, scorchingly. "'You understand me?' he asked harshly. Lavinia's eyes filled with tears and her soft underlip trembled. "'Yes,' she fluttered, and gave a tiny sob. "'Oh, yes, Tracy.' The eyes lost something of their menacing gleam, and he smiled, for once without a sneer, and, releasing her chin, patted her cheek indulgently. "'Bear in mind, child, that I am fifteen years your senior, and I have more worldly wisdom in my little finger than you have in the whole of your composition. I do not wish to witness your ruin.' The tears brimmed over, and she caught his handkerchief from him, dabbing at her eyes with one heavily laced corner. "'You do love me, Tracy.' "'In the recesses of my mind I believe I cherish some affection for you,' he replied coolly, rescuing his handkerchief. "'I used to class you with your deplorable brothers, but I think perhaps I was wrong.' She gave an hysterical laugh. "'Tracy, how can you be so disagreeable? Lord, but I pity Diana, and she marries you.' To her surprise he flushed a little. "'Diana, and she marries me, will have all that her heart could desire,' he answered stiffly, and took his leave. Once outside in the square he looked for a sedan, and, not seeing one, walked away towards Aldley Street. He went quickly, but his progress was somewhat retarded by two ladies, who, passing in their chairs down the street, perceived him and beckoned him to their sides. Escaping presently from them, he turned into Curzon Street, and from thence down Half Moon Street, where he literally fell into the arms of Tom Wilding, who had much to say on the subject of March's last bet with Edgecombe. His grace affected interest, politely declined Wilding's proffered escort, and hurried down into Piccadilly, walking eastward towards St. James's Square, where was the Andover townhouse. 
He was fated to be again detained, for as he walked along Arlington Street, Mr. Walpole was on the point of descending the steps of number five. He also had much to say to his grace. He had no idea that Belmanois had returned from Paris. A week ago he had arrived. Well, he, Walpole, had been out of town all the week, at Twickenham. He hoped Belmanois would honour him with his company at the small card-party he was giving there on Thursday. George was coming, and Dick Edgecombe, and he had asked March and Jilly Williams, but the Lord knew whether both would be induced to appear. Bell had heard of Jilly's absurd jealousy. Wilding was promised, and Markham, and several other answers he was awaiting. Andover accepted gracefully and parted for Mr. Walpole. He made the rest of his journey in peace, and on arriving at his house went straight to the library, where sat a sleek, eminently respectable-looking individual, dressed like a groom. He stood up as his grace entered, and bowed. Belmanois nodded shortly, and sat down at his desk. "'I have work for you, Harper.' "'Yes, sir, your grace, I should say. "'Do you know Sussex?' "'Well, your grace, I don't know as how—' "'Do you know Sussex?' "'No, your grace. Uh, yes, your grace. I should say, not well, your grace.' "'Have you heard of a place called Little Dean?' "'Not s—' "'Your Grace.' "'Midhurst?' "'Oh, yes, Your Grace.' "'Good. Little Dean is seven miles west of it. You will find that out. Also an inn, I think, called the Pointing Finger. There you will lodge.' "'Yes, Your Grace, certainly.' At a very little distance from there is a house, Horton House, where lives a certain Mr. Bowley, with his sister and daughter. You are to watch the comings and goings of these people with the utmost care. Eventually you will become groom to Mr. Bowley. "'But, Your Grace,' feebly protested the astonished Harper, "'you will approach their present groom, and you will insinuate that I, Andover, am in need of a second groom. You will tell him that I pay handsomely, treble what Mr. Bowley gives him. If I know human nature, he will apply for the post. You then step in. If Mr. Bowley asks for some recommendation, you are to refer him to Sir Hugh Grandison.' white chocolate's house on st james's street when you are engaged i will send further instructions the man gaped shut his mouth and gaped again do you fully understand me asked belmanois calmly uh uh yes your grace repeat what i have said then harper stumbled through it and mopped his brow unhappily very well in addition i pay you twice as much as mr bowley gives you and at the end if you serve me well fifty guineas are you satisfied Harper brightened considerably. "'Yes, Your Grace. Thank you, sir.' Tracy laid twenty guineas before him. "'That is for your expenses. Remember this. The sooner the thing is done, the more certain are your fifty guineas. That is all. Have you any questions to ask?' Harper cudgelled his still-dazed brain, and finding none, shook his head. "'No, Your Grace. Then you may go.' The man bowed himself out, clutching his guineas. He was comparatively a newcomer in His Grace's service, and he was by no means accustomed to the Duke's lightning method of conducting his affairs. He was not sure that he quite appreciated it, but fifty guineas were fifty guineas. End of chapter 20, part 2. Read by Sibella Denton. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.